Okay. I hope, um, I hope most of you, a lot of you, were here two weeks ago uh, because in the first line here it says, wives in the same way, uh, or, or what's sometimes translated from the original language, likewise, wives, and continue on. So, uh, you, in the same way to what? Likewise to what? Well, in the same way, likewise to what we talked about two weeks ago, which is the previous passage directly before this, which is where he, uh, uh, Peter talks about as elect exiles, as foreigners and aliens, uh, 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 submit yourselves to every human authority, especially the emperor, including all of his governors, Uh, And he says, uh, slaves, submit to your masters, whether they're commendable or if they're harsh. And talks a whole lot about why to do that and and situations in which, uh, uh, and the purpose of doing that, the source of doing that. Uh, And so here he says, wives, in the same way, likewise. Uh, And so the, I'm I'm actually, we got a lot we're going to do this morning. Uh, and so typically we kind of open up for like an open, pass the mics around, Bible study. Um, but this morning we've got like, we're going to have a dialogue, we're going to have a little Q&A situation, and I've got some stuff I want to draw on a dry erase board and attempt to make it legible so you can actually read it and see it. Uh, so we got a lot going on this morning. So if you'd let me jump in, um, what we're talking about this morning is actually going to be extremely similar to what we talked about two weeks ago because Peter is still making the same argument. He's saying the same thing. Uh, uh, And two weeks ago, we talked about uh, uh, how the credibility of our witness hinges on our ability to respect everyone, love the believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. That uh, chapter 2, verse 17, this summary statement that Peter makes when he says, submit to all human authority, and and he really gets down into the nuts and bolts We talked about how the credibility of our witness hinges on our ability to do what he says in verse 17. Respect everyone, love the believers, fear God, honor honor the emperor, honor human authority. Uh, And this week, I mean, I I I actually think there's something for all of us, whether you're married or not, because he continues to talk about submission. He continues to talk about an ethic of submission in the midst of being exiles and being like born again, new life, new kingdom, new ethics, death to life, but still existing in a pre-existing social order, a pre-existing authority and power structure. And what do you do with that? How, how do I live now? Uh, 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 how does it change how I engage in the social order, the power structures in which I lived in yesterday, but now I'm called to live in in a different way? Well, in what way? In what way does that change? I want to talk today about how when, when faced with, again, it's very similar to two weeks ago, when faced with the binary choice of allegiance or rebellion against power, submission is witness to an alternative king. And taken, taken alone, if this, if this uh, uh, chapter is taken outside of what Peter's trying to do over the course of three chapters, it looks like it says a whole lot about marriage. 
uh, uh, but actually placed within the broader argument which he's trying to make, it kind of says some things about marriage, but it's not really actually what he's trying to do. He's actually more so continuing this logic of like, you've surrendered to Jesus, now you're, now you're exiles, you're chosen by him and you're exiles, you're foreigners to the, to the wisdom, the power, the logic, the worldview, the value system, the principles of everything you once knew. And now what does that mean? What is that, what is, how do you engage now in that previous worldview that, which creates a social order and authority and power structures that you're still in and what do you do about it? Um, and he can, he's continuing to make that argument. Um, and taken in context of the previous chapter, uh, uh, I, I actually think it has a lot to say for all of us, whether you're married or not. Um, so I want to do, I want to draw out like a little summary of the, the, the flow of the argument that he's making. So a majority of you can't read this because I wrote it in the, uh, you know, what would that be, like 5.5 font? That's what that is. Yeah, it's like 4.6, 4.6 font. Uh, so it says, how do elect exiles, chosen foreigners, engage in social order, authority, and power of Babylon? Or what they would know as Rome, what Revelation uh, uh, starts to make a metatype of Babylon. Any, any, any worldly system uh, 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 and its, its, its worldview, its, its, its the shaping of that worldview into social order uh, uh, and into uh, dynamics of power and authority and systems. How do we, as foreigners and exiles, engage in that system? And we talked about how um, it feels as though uh, every, every believer, every person under some kind of a power system, a pre-existing power system, feels like they have two options. They can either, they can either uh, operate in total allegiance, uh, uh, meaning... Uh, a complete trust, complete obedience, complete agreement, uh, 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 never actually even thinking to critique or wonder about, uh, uh, but just completely drinking the Kool-Aid, completely aligning life with uh, uh, the power, the authority over you, whether it's an emperor, whether it's a governor, whether it's some, some version of government, whether it's uh, 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 an employer, whether it's a slave master in that time, the ancient Near East, a uh, total allegiance. Or you would have the choice of Rebellion, a revolution. Uh, so we can either like completely obey, com- completely align with, never talk about, never critique, or we can get our swords out. And, and we can, yeah, that's right, we can draw blood, uh, uh, we can lead a, re- a revolution, we can lead a rebellion, we can try to get back our, our freedom, our rights to actually live as we feel called we are now to live. And uh, we see throughout Scripture, we see communities dealing with that tension and actually responding on both sides of that tension. And that's, that's what we talked about last week. We talked about seeing examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of the people of God having seasons where they're just completely in allegiance and actually trying to drink the Kool-Aid and just be in full total alignment with the systems of the world. Uh, 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 and, have, and leading that way, trying to convince other people there's, there's, it's a virtuous way. Or you have people who are leading violent rebellions. You have the intertestamental period where you have Jew, the Jewish people leading like a violent rebellion, trying to overthrow and, and restore their place as like a free autonomous people. Um, and what we talked about two weeks ago, if you remember this, we talked about how both of those responses are actually reinforcing the logic of the world, which is the logic of empire. 
Do you remember this? Anybody, nobody was here last week? So a couple people were here two weeks ago. Yeah? Were you here? Yeah, we got one guy that was here. That's good. I'm glad you were here. We had a good time that week. Yeah, yeah. Um, so both of these are actually, are actually coming out of being formed by the worldview of empire. And in the, the, that worldview of empire is actually being carried through the, 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 the peak virtue of domination. Can you see how both of these things are actually continuing to reinforce domination? We will completely submit to domination and preserve its ethic and its worldview because we perceive it to be right and we actually think the best way for us to maintain comfort or actually grow in status is to actually reinforce that domination and I might get higher within it over time as I stay in allegiance. Or rebellion is to say, let's take this over so that we can dominate. I want to dominate. Uh, uh, But both of them are actually uh, exposing a formation in the worldview of empire. And what Peter is doing is he's trying to pull the people of God out of that binary choice, out of empire. Revelation literally says to the people of God, come out of Babylon, come out. He says, you have to completely split. This is a, the kingdom of God is a third way. It's an alternative way. It's a subversive way. It's, it's completely counter uh, to the, the way of empire. And maybe the peak uh, kind of method of life and engagement instead of dominance is actually the opposite of dominance. It's cruciformity. It's powerlessness. Powerless or cruciform. And it makes no sense to this logic. It makes no sense to this worldview. And why would the nature of this, of this uh, way of life be cruciform and powerless? Because it is paved, governed, led by a king, a God who was on the cross, a God who died, a, a God who actually was cruciform for us, a God who established this kingdom via powerlessness. There, the, it, a God who actually makes no sense to this worldview, this logic system. A God who was pressured every single day by his own followers to choose one of these. A God who, who was consistently confounding his own disciples because they were wondering, when are you going to do this? We're trusting that eventually, at some point, you're a little weird, you're a little strange, but eventually we're trusting you're going to do this. And the people who he disgruntled were the people who wanted him to do this. Be in total allegiance, total submission. And he, he confounded both because he was an alternative king, an alternative savior, an alternative messiah, a lord of lords who does not make sense within this system. And now for Peter to say, come out of empire, come out of Babylon, live an alternative way. That's the, that's the argument he's trying to make. This like overall argument. And he says, so now he's saying, he's saying, this is what I'm trying to invite you into. So, he starts to identify pre-existing power, authority, social order structures that they live in and to say, what do you do about that? Well, submit. Submit to the emperor, submit to human authorities, but he also puts in there, fear God. 
that you're actually, your submission to human authority is not out of fear of that human authority, nor out of a motivation of your own uh, uh, self-comfort and self-advancement or safety, but your submission to that human authority is actually derived out of your fear and submission to God. And the moment that that human authority actually leads you into sin and a breach and a betrayal of the way of God, you actually have to uh, uh, practice what we talked about two weeks ago, civil disobedience. Uh, uh, and we talked about how submission doesn't mean total agreement. It doesn't mean uh, uh, t- total obedience all the time. It doesn't mean to be silent and uncritical uh, uh, because you've got a, a pretty good chunk of the Old Testament being prophets who are speaking truth to power, being very critical to human authority. Uh, uh, so we talked about in the whole Council of Scripture, what is submission, what is it not? Um, so Peter is inviting us into this third way, this subversive loyalty uh, of the kingdom carried out through cruciformity. Uh, and he talks about it in the previous chapter to emperor-civilian relationships. And by the way, he's always addressing the one who is powerless and marginalized by that structure. He's saying civilians, submit. He's saying slaves, submit to your masters. And even you, we don't, we don't see this sometimes, but even Peter choosing to write a letter to, to a direct audience that would not be written to, would not be taught, would not be considered to actually have the time and decency to actually consider or speak to or write to or deliver a letter to or be an audience of a letter, this is already progressive for the time, already radical for the time. And then he applies it to the master-slave relationship. And in each situation, he addresses uh, uh, that, that population. So, um, if you're, so we've got these kind of options here. There's a way to respond here. There's response A, there's response C, and then there's like a way to respond over here. And he's trying to address these uh, situations that they're engaged in, which we would say maybe civilian emperor, master, slave. And he's, he's kind of touching on, on how there's, there's ways in which they could respond this way, and he's inviting them to respond this way, to, to reject, reject these, these ways of existing. There's ways in which they would know you could, you could respond to the authority and power structure of the slave system in the ancient Near East and allegiance. You could do it in rebellion, or you could actually do it in the, the, the subversive loyalty of a kingdom ethic, in fear of God, in fear of God. We studied that passage in the Council of All of Scripture and, and thinking through history. And we decided that submission does not mean total obedience because there are examples in Scripture of civil honoring disobedience uh, uh, that's, that's ordained by God. We talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. The one I was thinking about this last week was the midwives in Exodus. In Exodus 1, these midwives are commanded by Pharaoh, who is an emperor. And they're like... Sub- they're submitted to his leadership and power and authority, and he commands them. When you deliver Jewish boys, you kill them. And it literally says in the next line that because they feared God, they did not. They disobeyed. I think that's, a, that's an amazing example of what's happening here. They feared God, and in their fear of God, they had a situation where they could no longer submit to the emperor, to the pharaoh. Submission does not mean total agreement uh, uh, all the time in every way. I still think you can disagree, but you have to figure out how to disagree with honor and respect. I don't think submission means 
silence. Uh, uh, but I think there, there's actually room to speak truth to power and to be open and honest, but to do so in a way, again, that's honoring of the text, uh, to be in honor and respect uh, to those authority structures over you. So uh, uh, submission does mean respect. It does mean honor. It does mean to obey in all situations that do not lead to a direct breach of the leadership and character of God. So you can't just, you can't just decide to act in civil disobedience because you don't like what's being asked of you. I actually think we are called to be in obedience even when we disagree but we have discerned that the thing we're being asked to do is not a breach of the character of God. That submission actually means even in our disagreement, if we're not being led into sin, we still have to obey. And there, I mean, I, I think this is, I think that the reason we need to talk a lot about submission today is because I think there are a lot of us who think we like submission, but we've never been in submission to someone or something that we've disagreed with. We've only ever agreed with the people that we've been in submission to, and therefore, you've only been submitted to yourself. <laughs> for the back, for the back. And now, same argument. Same reasoning, likewise, in the same way, marriage. Talks directly to wives. Talks directly to husbands. And again, he's saying there's an option to, to be in total allegiance. There's an option to be in rebellion. There's an option to be in total allegiance. There's an option to be rebellion. But I'm asking you, I'm inviting you, I'm, de, I'm, de, I'm de, uh, uh, inviting you into, I'm declaring the ethic of God here, be in subversive loyalty with one another. Just civilians to emperors, just like slaves to masters, wives existed within a pre-existing power and authority structure in their marriages in the ancient Near East. It was true of them before they surrendered their lives to Jesus. Now they've surrendered their lives to Jesus, whether they're husbands or believers or not. And clearly he's talking to a situation where there are some people whose husbands are not believers and wondering, what does that mean? For this pre-existing power system that I've been, that was true yesterday and now is true today, but it's very complicated for me now that I've surrendered my life to Jesus. What, do, what does this mean? And what do you do with that power dynamic when you surrender to Jesus? Allegiance or rebellion? Especially if the husband isn't following Jesus. That's difficult. Can we just acknowledge how difficult that, that word is? That's a hard word. And I think the, the, what Peter's inviting them to is in fear of God and submission to God as an agent of the kingdom, submit within that dynamic. Now, here's what's interesting. I'm just going to say a word about this. I don't want to get into this too much. Here's what's interesting. Over time, over the last 2,000 years, uh, uh, and through study, we've discerned that Scripture is giving, is advising and giving wisdom to people in this kind of situation, what do you do with this kind, of this kind of power dynamic, this kind of authority dynamic, while at the same time, we've agreed that Scripture is not moralizing the ethic of that power structure. 
Nobody's arguing that like the Bible actually endorses an emperor, dictator, oppressive style of government. But they're saying when you're in that power structure, when you're in that authority structure, here's how you can actually honor God in it. We've agreed over the last 2,000 years and through study and through the revelation of God that, that he is advising slaves how to actually act godly within a power structure that Scripture is not morally endorsing for all time and all people. We would say Scripture is clearly not teaching that this method of employment in, and, and the objectification of humans is right, morally right, good. It's actually just saying when you're in it, here's how to respond. Here's how to act godly within that power dynamic, that authority dynamic. But in the same line of thinking, he's doing the same thing. He's making the same argument. We've decided, communities have decided, people have decided that God is not just speaking to the people in that authority dynamic. He's actually making a moral claim about the transcendent truth of that power dynamic and authority structure. When we've agreed that he's not doing that for the previous two. I just think that's inconsistent. Now, I understand why we've done that, because there are other places in the New Testament that talk about marriage, not within this line of reasoning. But what I am saying is that we're dealing with 1 Peter 3 this morning, and that is precisely not what Peter is doing here, so we're not going to talk about it, because it would not be true to the text to actually make this morning about marriage. It's not about marriage. It's about people who exist within an authority structure under empire, surrender their lives to Jesus, and now what do they do within that authority structure? And one of them is marriage. So we're going to talk about power and authority and social order because to take our whole morning this morning and talk about marriage would actually be inconsistent to the point of this text. Are you with me? You hear what I'm saying? You can disagree with me, that's fine. But you hear what I'm saying. So first he addresses wives directly and he asks them to submit to their husbands using this same logic, the same line of thinking, and the same language as civilians submitting to emperors, slaves submitting to masters. And, and again, same as we did two weeks ago, looking at the whole council of scripture, are there, are there situations that shine light to moments in which wives should actually practice civil disobedience to that power structure? Yes, there is. Are there, are, do wives, does that mean wives have to agree constantly? It do, does it mean that they have to obey everything? Does it mean they have to sell their minds and not be considerate? Uh, uh, what, what does this mean about marriage? First uh, Samuel, uh, uh, one of the, it's the only one I'm going to talk about this morning, but First Samuel, there's uh, 25, there's a story about a woman named Abigail and her husband uh, Nabal and uh, David, where uh, uh, David actually treated this guy Nabal, who's a jerk, uh, and he's very selfish, Treated this guy and all of his people, uh, his whole household with great respect, protected him, gave a lot of his time and resources to really serving this guy. Uh, David gets into a situation where he's in need. He sends a messengers to this guy, Nabal, and he says, listen, uh, 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 you remember how we treated you? You remember how we protected you? You remember how, how well we, 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 we protected your household? Uh, I'm asking that you would just provide for our need in these ways. This, these are the things that I would like from you. Would you please give these things to us? And Nabal responds to his messengers, who's David? Who's this guy? Where does he think he comes from? What, give, what gives him the right to stuff? And he just doesn't want to part. He's got this insatiable control over his, his household and his assets. These messengers go back to David and tell David, here's how he responds. And David says, everybody grab your swords. 
He says, four, can I get 400 guys? Can we all grab our swords? We're going to go pay a visit to Nabal. <laughs> squad, squad up. And they start heading for his household, and the servants of Nabal go to Nabal's wife, Abigail. And they say, listen, we just thought you should know. Uh, this situation happened yesterday where David kind of came to your husband, said these things. Your husband was kind of in the wrong, we think. And uh, if anybody was going to be able to try to save our lives here, maybe it's you. I don't know. Could, is there anything you could do? And she decide, Abigail decides to basically take a, a, a bunch of his assets, sheep, food, uh, 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 resources, all this kind of stuff. Not tell him, hide it all from him, take a bunch of it, gather it up, and leave without telling him anything, leaving him completely in the dark and going to meet David halfway. And she gets to David and she's basically like, come on, have mercy on us. My husband, idiot. Can we just agree? You know, he, she's like, Nabal is just unbelievable. Uh, uh, and if you're, if you're like a servant of the Lord, I, you know, and I think you are, and you've acted this way so, so kindly among us, we, this is the least we can do for you. Would you see it fit not to, like, kill us all? This would be great. Uh, uh, and David's basically like, this is, this is unbelievable. Like, such, such mercy and favor, such character here. Uh, and you've saved your whole household. You've saved your whole household. By being directly disobedient, defying, and lying to your husband. You've, you've saved your whole household, and I think God is with you. God is near to you. So I actually think that gives, like, and when we're thinking, like, like wives, out of fear of God, submit to their husbands. Uh, uh, there are situations in which that fear of God will lead you to not submit to your husband. And I actually think that story in 1 Samuel 25 gives precedent to one of the situations where that's required is actually when yourself or your family are in direct harm's way because of your husband's leadership. I actually think it gives principle for, for women to leave abusive relationships. Uh, to do something about uh, uh, abuse in a household, uh, in their own marriage. Uh, and so I, I actually think it, I, I disagree vehemently when, when leaders actually ask women to stay in abusive relationships or abusive situations because they're commanded to by Scripture. I don't think they are. Um, so there are situations in Scripture where uh, there is room to, uh, for even women in that time, in that culture, in that power structure to be in disobedience and, and, and step out of submission uh, to their husbands out of fear of God. And, it, and at the same time, it says, and we're going to talk all about all this more. We're going to have a little dialogue up here. It says, husbands, how do you operate within this pre-existing empire-formed power dynamic? Again, this is the first time in this line of reasoning that he's addressing the one in power, not the one without power. The reason for that was because the emperor is not sitting in the church. So he doesn't have to write to the emperor and say, how do you use your power, emperor? Uh, uh, slave masters were not sitting in that church. So he's not having to say, slave masters, here's, here's how to uh, deal with what you're doing. But husbands are sitting there. So what is there for them? I actually think husbands have the choice in that culture and to, to be frank, sometimes today. Um, if, if husbands are choosing between allegiance and rebellion, but they're the ones in power, the choice that husbands feel inside of the logic of empire is to dominate, which is actually in allegiance. To be in allegiance with that worldview is to dominate. 
or to rebel against that worldview, I actually think is to abdicate responsibility. To rebel against kind of like a patriarchal kind of worldview or social order, to rebel against that, I actually think the, de- the, the evil of that rebellion is to abdicate, res- abdicate responsibility entirely. But the kingdom way, the alternative way that is not allegiance or rebellion, it's not domination or abdication, is, as, is what Peter's inviting husbands into. When he says to be considerate of, respectful of, and I know people like, there might have been some people here who were talking and we're like, I don't know how I feel about weaker vessel. That's a weaker partner. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> uh, uh, but contextually, it, it, it'd, be, it'd be better to read it as the more disadvantaged partner. Weaker in every way in society. Weaker in court rights. Weaker in, in property rights. Weaker in employment rights. Uh, uh, weaker in property rights. Weaker in social status in society. Weaker and disadvantaged in every way. And so husbands, respect the one whom God has, has put you in union with as the one who is more disadvantaged in society and to whom you are responsible to care for, lead uh, uh, in every way as co-heirs. So I know I said this weaker vessel thing over here, but I just wanted to say two words later, as co-heirs. If you even start to think somehow you're entitled to a little bit more in the kingdom of God, you got a little bit more going on, as co-heirs in the kingdom of God. And if you abdicate this responsibility, God will hinder your prayers. Oh my goodness. It's the strongest word in the text. I mean, we were, we were studying this passage on Monday morning and the, one, of the, one of the people sitting around the table was like, yeah, I, there, because of this text, there's a lot of times when I'm in kind of coaching conversations with uh, uh, men who are married, who are disciples or leaders, and they might say something like, I felt really distant from God lately. I felt really, I'm just not hearing his voice. I'm just, I just feel like he's far away. And, 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 and instead of like pastoring them through their Sabbath or prayer life saying, how are you treating your wife? How are you treating your wife? Because there is precedent for like God choosing not to listen to your prayer, prayers based on how you're treating your wife. So can we talk about that for a minute? Just to be, get clear. It could be something else. could be something else. But can we talk about this? It is a sharp word, a strong word. I think every uh, uh, man who is currently married or considering marriage, you've got to wrestle with that word. You've got to receive that word. Even modesty. Uh, I actually think he's, he's addressing modesty uh, uh, partially within a social order, authority, power dynamic framework. That women would feel tempted to adorn themselves in certain ways to grab at and acquire social status, order, power, and authority in the way in, in which the empire has decided women can establish social order, power, status, and authority. So he's saying, don't adorn yourselves with jewels and do, and do your hair certain ways uh, 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 and, and, and wear certain like fine linen clothing as a means to acquire for yourself authority and power within the empire's construct. Don't do that. Come out of the empire. Get out of the empire and engage in the view and the virtues and the principles of the kingdom of God. So adorn yourselves more with an inner character, an inner self from which true spiritual authority arrives. 
You don't even, you want, you want like actual spiritual authority that actually comes from the, a renewed inner self under the transformation and redemption of Christ Jesus. Amen. That's what you want. That's what you want. True authority, true power that comes from that via modesty. Now, the interesting part is, uh, which we're going to have a dialogue now. Bree can, Bree can come up and we're going to talk a little bit. If we see his, him making his, uh, 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 his logic, his argument this way, I actually think what we can do in 2019 is we can actually talk about situations in which men should submit. And we can talk about ways in which men should have a gentle and quiet spirit. And we can talk about ways in which men should engage in modesty. Because that worldview, that worldview of empire, actually affects men too. Just as much, sometimes more so, than women in 2019. These are all examples and invitations into incarnational powerlessness. We almost learn as missionaries the joy and the power of submission. There are opportunities to exude a powerful witness to an alternative kingdom and a crucified king. So I wanted to invite up Bree, and we wanted to have like a little bit of an open dialogue with one another um, about some of how, what this means for each of us uh, and how we've kind of wrestled with the passage this week. Can we give a hand for Bree? Thank you, Kristen. Bree, how are you feeling? Mm. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings. Uh, I, you know, so we, we're going to ask questions back and forth to each other, but I just wanted to give you a moment to discuss, you know, just in studying this passage, even early, earlier this week, even this morning, what's some of your just like visceral reaction to the verses that describe submission in this way and maybe how submission is looked for you uh, in so many different domains of life? Yeah, I think when we were studying this Monday morning, I had a reaction that I didn't really anticipate. I didn't realize I would have such strong feelings yeah. um, about this deep anger and deep sadness at the same time. Because I think when we read this passage and we look at words such as submit, gentle and quiet in spirit and weaker and modesty, they have been used in a way that is not of God and is not of the kingdom way that you were talking mm -hmm. about, in a way that is full of domination um, or even allegiance. Yeah. And so, you know, I felt anger uh, for that way that that unauthorized power, as you talk about power, yeah. power that is not given from God yeah. um, has been used over women, um, but yet hurt because of the way that throughout time uh, this passage has been used to hinder, actually hinder the witness of women and hinder the potential and calling of women. Sure. And so, you know, I have negative connotations when it comes to submission, basically, what it is, and I have positive. I have positive experiences of willingly submitting when I didn't fully agree with something, but also submitting when I have agreed. And so as I was even thinking about, about this and, you know, starting this job December of last year, being in the role of managing director of the underground, given a lot of authority and power uh, as a woman, as a woman not from the United States, so it I was really wrestling with, like, how do I do this well? Yep. Because the way I have seen power used, not just from, from women and men, has been not always so healthy or actually completely against, to me, the kingdom way. 
And so it's very easy with power in that sense when you're in this particular role or in any role of influence and power to actually do the opposite of like, I don't want to use this power at all um, because I would rather not use it and not make a mistake and hurt someone than use it and do that. So I was like thinking about like, God, I need to like, you need to do some discipling with me in this. And I found this book and I just brought it so people could see it. It's called Developing Female Leaders um, by Katie Cole. She came out with it this, this year. And in it, she just talks about some real stuff, particularly around power and um, what even you've talked about in allegiance and domination and empire. You know, I think many churches have divided or have had debates around whether they are egalitarian or complementarian. Do they believe women can be in leadership at home, at work, in life, or in community, or do they not? Mm -hmm. And she actually says there's actually more than two ways. Right. There's like seven right. or... Um, you know, there's nuances to it because yeah. some people may believe that women can be totally in power in the workplace, in the marketplace, but not in the church. Yeah. And, and we have to wrestle with that. Like, is that okay? I don't know. But she talks about two extreme ways that I think is important to share is what we would call extreme fem feminism yeah. or matriarchy and then patriarchy. Right. And, um, Feminism has derived out of that patriarchal way of complete domination over women in the sense of not only can, should men just be in the roles, but we are not of equal value. Because that's actually the, the, the thing that's the kicker is that men have decided or people have decided that women don't have the same worth or same value. Yeah. Therefore, they call the shots. But feminism, extreme feminism, has done the opposite, saying women should be in leadership at all times. Yeah. Women have what it takes. And is either of those things right? I, I, personally, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, and so then, but then we have like this in-between where complementarians think, you know, women have value, but men should definitely call the shots. Or yeah. egalitarians think women have value, and actually it's based on calling and mutual submission yeah. that we should, should guide every decision. Yes. And so... I, you know, as I was reading this, in many ways, coming across as saying, like, I think I kind of know where I, where I land, and that's why when I read this passage, it's like, I think of the ways it has been used extremely, but as we do dove deeper, I was convicted and saying, like, wow, I really, man, am I a Christian feminist? I don't know, like, am I yeah, this? Right, like, because right, right. I'm, it feel very strongly about this, but I think it's because of the way that it has been used, that yeah. I'm tempted to rebel. Yeah. I'm tempted to be like, the minute that you say something against a woman, I'm like, I'll be Xena Warrior the Princess, as I said two, three weeks ago <laughs> against you. you know, I'll come at you, you know? Uh, but, you know, I think I have this heart because as a, as a woman who feels called to women and, and seeing the results of, the, of, of how women, and we'll talk, I'll talk about this in the next question, but like how women have shrunk back even yeah. when they're given the opportunity to lead and say yeah. oh you have total authority and power yeah and they're not right. i i weep yeah because the kingdom and the witness mm -hmm. of the kingdom is missing out because let's just be honest how many micro churches are led by women in here mm -hmm. more than 50 percent <laughs> yeah. yeah you know yep. and if that were not like how much would the kingdom be missing totally and so yeah, I think I just have many, many feelings, and even thinking about submission, uh, you know, I think the underground is very empowering, and, you know, when I was here seven, eight, nine years ago in college, I was like, man, I can do anything. Like, people are saying, I'm called, and I can go and do this, but going back home to the Cayman Islands, it has a traditional church structure where there were women in leadership, 
but it was very like there are things I didn't agree in regards to modesty like some of the churches like think women should wear skirts all the time and they're playing softball and they're wearing a skirt and I'm like that's problematic you know and yet some of those people are my family and they have chosen to willingly submit to that yeah, they're like right. that's fine and they totally feel okay. I'm like, how is this right? And so those nuances are something I had to wrestle with. And actually, like being on the leadership uh, worship team at my, my church, you know, it's a traditional kind of old church that uh, jeans is not necessarily something you would wear on the front of the stage when you're leading worship. Yeah. Or sometimes at, at one point, not even pants. Or, yes. And I was like in like in my heart rebelling. I was like, I'm not going to do this. This is not good. <laughs> but I started to think about if I'm actually called to lead these people into the presence of God mm. through worship, through musical worship, and I'm going to willingly rebel and that could hinder them from coming into the presence of God over something kind of yes. trivial as this, yes. then I am being disobedient right. and I'm not fearing God. So I said, all right, well, got my church clothes ready. Yeah. You know, yeah. so... I had to, and at one point, and then I let it go yeah. because I'm like, this is, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And when I did, man, what a sweet time of worship. Yeah. What a sweet fellowship I had with them. Yeah. And so I think times of like that, but also mutual submission in the sense times I submitted, I enjoy submitting yeah. actually. Um, I enjoy because I respect and honor and trust the person I'm submitting to. Yeah. And so I've had different instances of that with men and women, uh, with my husband. Like, yeah. you know, when we were, when I was trying to decide whether to leave my very secure accounting job to do my business, and even when we were deciding to move here, if he said, I don't feel God calling us to this, I would not have come. Because I submit to his leadership the fact that, and the same way. Uh, and even my parents, you know, like uh, when you came out of high, uh, college, high school, you feel like I'm an adult now. I yeah. can totally decide what's, how my life is going to go. Yes. And it's true, but in major decisions, whether it be to actually leave my accounting job, whether it be to move here, whether it be to, I actually included my parents because I honor and respected their opinion. Yeah. And uh, even now, it's like, I guess I'm technically your boss. That's weird to say. It's kind of still you're weird to boss. say. You're my boss. Say it. Come on. You're my it boss. It's so weird. Uh, <laughs> but even now, it's like, I think of authoritative structures like whatever I say you need to do. Yeah. Which probably is sometimes the case, but I kind of operate even with you as like I'm mutually submitted to you because there have been times where you're like, I really don't know if we should do this now or this is, and I'm like, mm. all right, I, I agree. I kind of disagree, but I, th but I trust you. Yeah. And so I enjoy submitting um, to men, to women in yeah. different ways. Uh, uh, but again, again it's, it's, I have to work through that sometimes of like, is this a case? Sure. Where this is appropriate submission or not. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 But what about you? Submission. Um, how do you feel about that? Well, for, I mean, word. first of all, I just, I think I, I, I appreciate you being able to even communicate and share a story of choosing to be in submission to something that you disagree with. Because I, I just think we just have, we just don't have a lot of examples of that. Um, so even thinking through like a situation when, in which, you did do that, why you did that, um, and, uh, and because I think those, those kind of stories right now are really important for us. And I, you know, I have actually been wrestling this week with how submission is not just a um, kind of like a difficult thing that we're called into, um, but it's a gift. Submission is a gift from God. 
to us. Um, and even your, even your leadership, you know, I know you joke around with me like, like am I your boss, am I not your boss? But um, you're my boss, and I, I actually love submitting to your leadership because your leadership, this, you're talking about like your parents and telling me and like how it's, it's really easy and it's a gift from God to submit to someone whom I, who, who has good character and whom I trust. Part of the reason why it's a gift is because the interfacing of submission and responsibility. It's like if you, when you're in submission to someone, the gift is that you're, to a degree, alleviated of responsibility over that domain. You're trusting that person, and they're taking responsibility uh, from a situation and saying, like, look, don't carry the responsibility of that. I'm carrying the responsibility of that, and you can trust me. And there's a lot of situations where I've really appreciated your leadership because you've, you've uh, uh, held responsibility in, er- in an area and you've invited me to trust you mm-hmm. um, in an area of responsibility. Now, I think, it's, I, I think a lot of times when people don't want to be in submission, they also don't want to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that leads to destruction, right. total destruction. Um, and, and, I, and I also think, you know, when thinking about submi- the ways in which submission in my life has been a gift in situations with you, even in situations with um, thinking, thinking about my, my household, thinking about my, my parents, um, uh, uh, workplace uh, uh, situations and dynamics, um, thinking about the ways in which submission has been a gift. Um, I, do, I do think we, we have to, just as leaders, if we're trying to like offer like a little bit of space for you as microchurch leaders, as communities to discern, what does this mean for me? I actually think part of your leadership, microchurch leaders in the room, Part of your leadership of people, walking with people, discipling people, forming people, empowering people, I think we have to be consistently communicating to people how to discern who is worthy of our submission. Uh, because I think left to the world, right, left, left, to, left to the spiritual formation of empire and of the world, we often decide to submit to celebrity and people we agree with. Those are the two factors. Like we submit. And, and, give, and give over, like, the leadership of our lives, the alignment of our, our, our lives to the celebrity impulse and to people with whom we already agree. But I actually think Scripture calls us to, in, to uh, submit to, pe- to leaders of great character, like unbelievable character, who are trustworthy of our, for, with our submission. And I actually think it's, it's, an, it's an area of discipleship that we don't often talk about, like, are you discerning the people to whom you're submitting? Your, your, your worldview, your theological considerations, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was on a, I worked for a church uh, seven years, eight years ago. I don't know, it was a while ago. Um, and I was part-time, really loose role. And I felt called to work for this church. I felt called to be in submission of the leader, to the, the leaders of this church. And they had a theological position that I disagreed with. Um, I won't even tell you what theological position it was. <laughs> they had a theological position that it was very, very important to them that I disagreed with. But I didn't think it was a hill to die on. I didn't think it was a matter to break fellowship. And I, and I thought these guys had an outstanding character. Like they were about the, the life of Jesus. They were about the kingdom. They were about like seeing cities transformed. And so um, me coming on the team with them even part-time, my, my, my role was kind of loose, meant I was coming into submission to their theological viewpoint on that matter. 
And I was still free to, free to disagree. Like, I have my own mind. You have your own mind. Like, I was still free to, like, discern and consider that. But what it meant to me, and I'm just telling you, like, personally, how this has looked for me. Like, I was in disagreement about it. But in any situation where I was, like, sitting across the table from someone in that community and they were looking at me as a leader in that community and they were asking me something that impl- implicated that theological position, I would, I would present the theological position of the organization that I worked for, which is not the one I agreed with, but I would present it in its highest form as if it were my own, and they would have no idea. And and that, that is, for me, I still have a conviction about that. That is what it meant to actually be in submission to that body. And to actually trust, this is the hard part, to actually trust, to have humility to believe that these guys are these men and women in this church had amazing character, exemplary character, and I need to actually be to to hold in suspense and intention my my answer to this theological question uh, because they might be right, and I have to have the humility to actually open myself into a space of discernment to think they might be right, um, and in the in the in the in this kind of tension space. I'm actually going to cling to their view, which I don't totally agree with. Um, now, that might make you very uncomfortable. Does that make anybody very uncomfortable? I won't make you raise your hand. It's okay. It makes you very uncomfortable, yes? Uh, uh, but I still have convictions about that, that, I'm a, that uh, a God has appointed elders and overseers of the church um, and has established theological uh, boundaries around the church. Uh, and... Uh, um, when we are in submission, and elders already know this around this community. I mean, we have this thing called the manifesto. We have this thing called uh, creedal orthodoxy. Um, and uh, uh, we have all agreed to, leaders in this room, have all agreed to be in submission uh, uh, to the community with one another on those theological grounds. Um, and when we disagree, we have to discern whether or not that disagreement is a means for disfellowship with one another um, and hold one another in tension and hold fast with one another in those disagreements. Um, but I think that those are some of the places where submission is like an extreme gift and we do not have a whole lot of imagination for how to be in submission to a body that we disagree with. We don't have a lot of imagination for it. So, sometimes it's hard to even think of situations in which that would happen because we're so used to only being in submission to people we agree with on everything. Am I making you uncomfortable? A little bit? Yeah, I am. It's okay. <laughs> How do you feel about the call to a gentle and quiet spirit? <laughs> what does that mean for you? Well, uh, again, very strong feelings. And I think when I thought about my reaction to submission, gentle and quiet in spirit, and the even weaker partner, I don't know if this one is filled with as much anger or sadness. Um, sadness is it's filled with, like, the feeling of defeat. And... The reason why is because I feel like that one is my biggest struggle. Spirit gets me on that one. Uh, I just think there's a tendency of women to read that gentle and quiet spirit meaning saying we should never speak, even when we should speak. Uh, and that's how women just, that's how we operate. We're just quiet. We'll let, we'll let the men speak. And there have been times where uh, maybe I actually have the authority to say something on it, but I wouldn't do it. I'm like, oh, tell me you're the ministry guy, or like, you're, you got this, you got the theological stuff, right? And in her book, Katie Cole uh, 
Developing Female Leaders talks about this, talks about how women tend to not necessarily just the glass ceiling, but the sticky floor. And what that is, is that the tendency of women to hold themselves back from actually growing into leadership. Uh, and this is stuff they do to themselves. And for example, we use soft words in order to minimize impact. Like, I feel like this is improper instead of, I think this and I know right. this. Right. Uh, we apologize a million times. We apologize even for having an opinion. Yeah. And we're always saying something is our fault. We ask permission to give our opinion. We shy away from seeking opportunities or turn down invitations because we aren't sure that we can deliver it without failing. Uh, we do it all, uh, so we don't ask for help. Uh, we're not leveraging mentoring relationships. We don't know how to present ourselves. We're waiting for our hard work to be recognized by someone instead of saying, yeah, I did a great job. Uh, we don't know how to negotiate our own value, and, and, and it could go on and on, and it's like, People are saying, come on, Lee, do this. And we're like, we can't because we're stuck. Yeah. And I can't because I'm stuck. Yeah. And there is an example in the book that talks about, even, even in regards to applying for a job, a man will apply for a job if he's 60% confident that he can perform it well. If a woman is a, isn't 100% sure that she could do it well without failing, she will not even apply. Mm. And that's not just with jobs. That's with every leadership opportunity. She wants to make sure she has the criteria. She wants to make sure when she can go into it because the fear of failure and the fear of shame that comes is, is greater than the, like, the risk that it takes. Yeah. And so personally, I've, made my, I've often made my home, my resting place on this sticky floor. I'm like, I'm good here. It's much more comfortable to stay here than to risk failure or to risk even coming up here or speaking and someone like disagreeing or said I did a bad job. But like, yeah. that's better. Yeah. That's better. Yeah. But the reality is, is that there are a lot of women out there with things to say that literally, even as the pastor says, if we don't, if we don't do those things God's calling us to do, the kingdom is not going to come. Let's think about it. In every uh, award ceremony or thing, people, who do they think first? God, of course, but who's next? My mom. My mom. <laughs> we thank the mom or the women in our lives. Yeah. And why is it that we have to wait till that moment to thank them right. or to say that they actually have value? Yeah. And I just think that's sad. It's yeah. sad because we are who we are because of the, the women, a lot of great women in our lives. Yeah. But they, they just don't believe that. Yeah. And, and how are we as women, how are we, like women and men doing a good, good job of supporting that women, challenging them, giving them an environment where they can actually thrive? Yeah. And so, you know, that's, this, is my, this is my sticky point. My sticky floor is that there have been times where I should speak, yeah. but I would rather revolt to, you know, yeah. quietness and, and so forth. So, yeah. How do you feel about... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... Um, soon, but. I think... I think Jesus had a gentle and quiet uh, spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and even some of the, we didn't, we haven't mentioned this this morning, but even some, the, some of the kind of original language, like what does he mean by that? Uh, uh, he's, what he's saying is, is uh, gentleness would be like when, uh, uh, when conflict or anger or anxiety is coming at you, you don't react in anger, hostility, uh, uh, violence or vengeance you have a a gentle a gentleness to you and quiet being when there is conflict and anxiety happening in others 
uh, uh, not, not coming at you, but happening in others, uh, that you, you don't, like, go stir the pot. You don't, it's, it's, it's the opposite of this would be gossip and slander. Um, so when it says uh, gentle and quiet, it actually means, like, not reacting, not, not, not provoking more conflict that comes at you and not stirring more conflict in others. Uh, a gentle and quiet spirit. And I actually think, uh, and again, if you, if you, in the same line of reasoning, we had this conversation about modesty, the, the, the modesty, the, the power structures of the world would actually invite uh, um, women and men at the time to, in order to acquire power, strive for authority, to react in anger and to stir the pot. And it's basically saying, don't do those things. Uh, uh, don't adorn yourselves externally in the authority structures of the empire and don't do it internally either. Uh, But uh, adorn yourselves with the alternative way of the kingdom. And I actually think just because he's saying it to women in the the moment doesn't mean that men don't have to also follow Jesus in this way. Jesus was this way. Uh, uh, He had gentleness and quietness. And I want my sons to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Uh, Um... And, and if I were to have a daughter, I would want my daughter to be tough as nails. And I wouldn't want her to be stuck to the floor. Uh, uh, but I actually think these are the characteristics of Jesus. And I, I am being formed like him in every way. And I also would want my daughters and I would want anyone in the room to be formed in all of that way too. Um, to grow in that, in that area. We should probably stop. You want to do it? Let's do it. Let's keep going. The weak, we can't talk about the weaker I know. Part. The language of a weaker vessel, the weaker partner. feels so antiquated, but do you find that language to carry yeah. wisdom for you, meaning for you? Yeah, physically, I'm not weak. Um, if you watched my Instagram the other day, I, like, squat cleaned 150 pounds. You yeah, know, you so, you yeah, know, you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Woohoo! Um, but... Even if I were not to do that, I think that's very troublesome is because how we, how we have defined these words, really, that's where it's at and weaker. Yeah. But I think in regards to weaker, I think, uh, I think women have a gift. A lot of women have a gift of vulnerability, of feelings, of emotions that are a strength. But we yeah. have often seen that as a weakness. Yeah. And so that's my initial thing when I see this is like, you know, I'm an F on the Myers-Briggs and you're a T. And I talk about this all the time. I'm like, Lucas, I have many feelings about this. And I'm like, is this a weakness? And he's like, well, you just think it through. It's okay. It's all right. great. And I'm like, is this a weakness, though? Because yeah. it takes me a while to process. It's inefficient, whatever. But it's a strength. But yeah. at times it can be a weakness right. for sure when I'm lying in that pit a little too much. But I just wanted to give another example of a book. We won't go too much into it by Andy Crouch called Strong and Weak. It will mess you up. Uh, just let you know. But he just talks about the, 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 the break between authority and vulnerability and times when there's high authority and high vulnerabilities where you're actually flourishing, times where you're both strong and weak. Uh, but when there is low authority and high, high vulnerability, that's suffering. And then there's low authority and low vulnerability, you're withdrawing. So you're like, I'm not even going to engage this. And times where there's high authority and no vulnerability is exploitation. Yeah. And I have just, you know, as I started to think about this, I've seen, like, this is happening with women. Yeah. And uh, obviously exploitation, the, the result, like, the result of that is, like, the, the matriarchy, patriarchy, feminism, all that sort of stuff is that even either women are being exploited or they're exploiting. Yeah. Because we have done that, too. 
Yeah. We got to acknowledge that. This isn't just a man against a woman thing. Yeah. Women need, we need to repent too of many ways. Um, there's times when we're in suffering. You know, we talked about the weaker vessel and a disadvantage where we do, we have high vulnerability and we have no authority. Yeah. Um, there's times where we're withdrawing. And I actually would say that's the sticky floor yeah. where we're just like, I'm not going to engage at all. Yes. And there's times where, where we would all need to go as men and as women where we're flourishing where we're embracing submission for the sake of witness. We're embracing gentle and quiet spirit around conflict and being vulnerable, but knowing that we're co-heirs as well, right? So I think this is a great book that I just have wrestled with in general as a woman, as a leader, um, but we could all wrestle with it. So uh, I think God is calling me to be weak in some areas and God is calling me to be strong, but to re really wrestle with the idea of like, even some of my strengths are my weakness. Yeah. And having to lean on others to help me in those times. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 And, and I, you know, I think um, even in the thinking about the gentle and quiet spirit and thinking and, and even wrestling this week with the, the weaker partner question, I just, I do think there is a, uh, a version of masculinity that has been communicated and taught and directly indirectly passively actively over time that men and that men grow up in that makes of having a a quiet and gentle spirit somehow not manly um, or being one who doesn't react in vengeance or rage or anger uh, um, or being someone who chooses to like be slow to speak and patient and and kind of holding fast with people um, even in, even in situations of, of power authority, like or conflict management or something like that, that that's somehow not manly, and that what it means to be a man in any version of conflict coming at you or any kind of conflict happening around you is to just drop a hammer. That's what it means to like be a man in that kind of situation, and it defeats our ability to actually grow in the way of Jesus with a gentle and a gentle and quiet spirit that that holds fast with one another and and is a non-anxious like a non-anxious presence. Um, and, and I actually think it is an invitation not just to the kingdom way in terms of social order, power, and authority, but even into a kingdom understanding of masculinity. Um, and a, a part, part of that kingdom definition of masculinity is being able to acknowledge and identify ways in which I am weak, ways in which I'm weaker, uh, and ways in which uh, there are there's a, there's actually women in my life who are stronger than me in several areas, and I'm a weaker I'm a weaker vessel, <laughs> I'm a weaker partner, and I need to learn from them, lean on them, uh, 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 grow uh, uh, underneath their their leadership in several ways. But again, I am pushed by the way of the empire not even to consider ways in which in which I'm weak, to acknowledge. And it, certainly, if, I'm, if, if I do kind of confront those realities and acknowledge them, not to look for strength and development and leadership from a woman in my life. Um, and so I actually think it, there is some pushing toward, especially in our time, toward a, a more uh, uh, a holistic view of responsible masculinity um, and, and the kingdom way of Jesus. So, guys, there's so much here. Can we give a, a hand for Bree? Thank you, Bree. That's where the rain is. Um, I hope you, you know, uh, there, there's, 
there's a lot of reasons why we go about the way we did this morning because I want you to know that we actually hold a whole lot of viewpoints in this room in tension with one another. So there's people who have in this room who have different philosophies about marriage and household and parenting. Um, and, you know, there's people in this room who have different kind of theological points of view. And we've been in relationship for 13 years and we're not deciding tomorrow to like lay down a line, and if, you're not, if you don't agree with us on all these matters, you have to leave. And so we did want to give a lot of room to capture tension this morning, a lot of tension, to give a lot of room for a lot of tension. But again, I think if we were to come away, if we were to come away from this morning thinking that this passage was somehow about marriage or somehow about men or women or something like that, we missed the point. What Peter's doing, not just in this passage, but in, in the whole uh, two-chapter span, is to basically say, as missionaries who are concerned with expanding the kingdom reign of God in the world, the tools that you have in your tool belt, the things that you're considering, how that happens, and how does God go about doing that, and how does God invite me into that work, is not just like proclamation of the gospel. It's not just evangelism. It's not just, it's not just ways to effectively communicate the gospel. It's not just apologetics. It's not just uh, 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 discerning calling and just uh, trying to find what God is doing and joining in with Him. But he's saying that submission is a core tool for the missionary in expanding the reign of God and the knowledge of God and the glory of God in the city. And Do you see it that way? Do you see that? I want to just invite the worship team come, to come up to close us. Um, and maybe uh, somebody to help me move chairs, too. You're awesome. Thank you. Um, the invitation this morning is to the gift of submission. Thank you, Wale. Um, I, I, I'll be honest with you, and a lot of you, too. I mean, I think I read the passage, and any time I see the word submission in Scripture, I feel icky. Anybody else? Am I just going to be vulnerable here? I guess I'm just vulnerable. Thanks, one, one person who also agrees. Um, it's just like, what does this mean and why? I mean, the submission to authorities, the submission to masters, the wives submit to their husbands. It's just like all this, it just, anytime I see the word, I feel icky. And I think that's exposing. It's extremely exposing. And I actually think it's something to discern and something for us to investigate personally with the Lord and probably actually something to repent of. Uh, uh, because we, we see submission as weak. We see submission as powerless. We see submission as, uh, 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 as, as dirty. We see it as, as kind of selling our souls or selling our mind or selling our decisions or something like that. Uh, uh, but Jesus didn't see it that way. And, this is, and Peter roots this whole thing in the life of Jesus who submitted uh, uh, to Roman uh, uh, authorities, to Roman guards. He submitted to Pilate. He submitted to, uh, 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 he even submitted to certain social expectations and power structures in his day that, that people would argue he shouldn't have. But he operated in submission, uh, uh, not just to, uh, and Philippians does this so well, he didn't just submit to uh, taking on flesh he, and, and then uh, to being a servant and to becoming nothing, but he became servant even to death. He submitted himself to uh, torture and crucifixion and to having the wrath of God poured out on our behalf. He, he submitted to that reality. And he submitted to the ones who would carry it out on, under false accusations. 
And he would do so without saying a word. Because he was in submission to the Father, because of his fear of God, because of his submission to the calling of God, the purpose of God on his life, his identity decided by, his future decided by the Father. And I think if we, if we react so viscerally, so emotionally, so uncomfortably to the idea of submission, I think we actually have to potentially repent. I think we have to wrestle with, why do I not like that? And I think it's because we want to be strong and we want to be powerful and we want to be autonomous and we want to be independent. And, we do, and uh, we've decided that all those things in the way we've determined to them be are virtuous. And in the same way, we've actually uh, uh, stepped away from and dismantled the cruciform way of the kingdom, the powerless way of the kingdom, and the powerless nature and leadership of Christ Jesus. And so the prayer this morning is, Jesus, would you teach us your cruciform way and help us to befriend powerlessness, to grow in us gentleness and quietness, to pull us from the adorning grips of empire that we may rest in our own exile, as elect exiles, as chosen foreigners, as ones formed by Him and under His leadership in every way, every single way, among a world that has no, no understanding of it, no nature of it, no concept of it. And to see that as a way in which we actually live out our calling. Is that a part of your missionary strategy? Is that a part of the strategy of your microchurch to find ways to be in submission and to, be, and to exude powerlessness among those to whom you're reaching. And Peter's saying, actually, it's pivotal that, that if you find a way to do that and you live godly lives in that way and you live curious and questionable lives in that way, that they will, that they will be able to thank God for you on the day He returns in glory. That's what I want. That's what we want. As we come to this table, we consider the reality of submission. We invite God to disentangle us from things that we believe, ways in which we've been formed that are broken. We invite Him, God, by Your power, by Your Spirit, by Your crucifixion, by Your blood, by Your resurrection, would You renew my mind this morning? Would You transform me in this way? by the renewing of my mind? And would you show me, God, the places in which it is a joy and a gift from you to submit? Whether it's as a, as a, a civilian or whether it's as an employee or whether it's in friendships or whether it's in a ministry and leadership or whether it's in marriage. God, show me the ways in which it's a gift from you. The night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. And when you eat it, you eat it in memory of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and poured it out, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. And when you drink it, you drink it in memory of me. And so this morning, underground, as we respond to the Lord in worship and in communion, the elements are given for you. Come and receive them when you're ready.